Well, happy Easter, everybody. Aren't you thankful we have Easter Sunday to celebrate? Would y'all join me and let's give a hand to the Lord and thank him for what he did for us. Woo! If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it's an honor to welcome you here. What we believe is the World Series Game 7 Sunday NCAA Championship Masters, if I understood golf. It's a, it's a really big deal, right? This is, this is what it's all about. So you are the sixth service this weekend here at North Star. We started last night. We had over 1,000 people here last night in the rain. They get to take a free Sunday off. All right, at another time is great. But they were here last night. We had 300-something at our early service uh, by the hillside this morning. And right now in this room, in Compass, in the theater, in the chapel, and even all the way up into our HSM room, we have folks. So those of you in Compass, would you welcome everybody who's tuning in and watching in today from some part of our campus? I know we have college baseball teams sitting on buses and in hotel rooms right now getting ready to go out that are watching, and we are just honored that you took time to be here. It's the greatest day in history, and it's a day that didn't seem like it was going to start great. So if you trace back from Sunday to Thursday, it was a bad news day, because on that Thursday They watched these disciples, watched the one that they had pinned their hopes and and hearts to. They watched him get arrested there in that garden. When he got arrested, they quickly put him on trial, and it really began to spin out of control because even though there was no crime he had committed, they convicted him and punished him to death. And death on a cross, which is the crucifixion, was the death penalty of the day. And they decided that they could do it within hours. And they stripped him. They beat him. They mocked him. They put a big beam on his shoulder that he was required to carry up the hill. And because of the beating had been so bad, they took a cat of nine tails as what they would abuse with and they would throw it across the skin and it wouldn't just lash the skin but the hooks in the cat of nine tails would latch like fish hooks into the skin and then they would rip it back and they pulled the skin off his back and then they threw a beam on his shoulder and told him to carry it up the hill interestingly he only made it part of the way and another gentleman Simon the Cyrene carried it the finish and then they took his, his hands and his feet and they nailed him in and then they hung him. So visually in your mind it may be you think he's way up here and we're way down here, but literally he was, he was really about six feet off the ground, about a little more about where I'm at right now, eye level. That's how high he was hanging. He was unclothed, hanging between two thieves. If you were one of his disciples... The 11 left, Judas is gone, or one of the followers of there, which are about 70 ish. It was a dark day. 9 a.m., they hung him up. At 3 p.m., he uttered these words It 
is finished. And he breathed his last. The Romans took a, a spear, stuck it in his side, and it gushed out blood and water, which represented death. They took him off the cross. They carried him. They put him in a borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. They wrapped him because Passover was coming, the Sabbath, and they rolled a stone in front of the tomb, and then they put the elite fighting forces of the Roman guard, which were equivalent to what we know now as rangers and seals, they put them by the tomb to make sure nobody could get that body out because they didn't want any trouble. Friday was bad. Can you imagine how long Saturday was? You ever experienced death with a family member and what time used to go so fast? Now time just stands still. That's what happened that Saturday. Time stood still for his followers. They went to bed on Saturday night. They got up on Sunday morning and the ladies got up to go and they took spices and aloes and they were going to go and anoint the body. They were not going to the tomb on Sunday morning for anything other than to take care of the body that they had laid in there of the one they thought was their savior on Friday. They forgot every promise he made. They forgot everything that he had said and it was bad. And when they got to the tomb, it was crazy. The stone had been rolled away And there was somebody there in blazing white, an angel, who said, the one you've come looking for is no longer here. And then he uttered these words. I want you to finish them with me. He is, what's the word? And the ladies went crazy. Can you imagine? And they took off running to go back and tell the disciples, Jesus isn't there. He's risen. And then one of the greatest statements in all the Bible The guys had to go see if the ladies were telling the truth. Thanks a lot, right? Thanks a lot. They go run back to verify it for themselves that he's not there. And you know the ladies are going, what do you think? We're lying about it? And so the guys take off in one of the greatest accounts in all the Gospels. John records that he and Simon Peter ran to see the tomb. And then John records this. This is such a man thing. I beat Simon Peter. I outran him. All right, so just the resurrection's great, but I did outrun Simon Peter. All right, and they go in, and the body's no longer there, and it changed everything. The resurrection changed everything. Those guys who on Friday and Saturday were ready to call it quits and go back to their other career, now on Sunday, they find an empty tomb, and then soon they meet the resurrected Savior, and they had to figure out what did the resurrection mean to them. When everybody look at me, you've got to figure out what the resurrection means to you. Easter's a great day. It's a story. It happened. But the question of Easter is, what's the resurrection mean to you? Is it something you know about? Is it something that you've experienced? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I want you to take your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where we're going to be. If you've got the North Star app, easiest way to follow along, go to North Star Church Georgia in the app store, download it. It's all right there. Easy way to follow along. you got your Bible, you got your notes. This is the greatest story ever told. And Paul writes it to the church at Corinth. 
and I think he's writing it to us. Would y'all stand with me today in honor of reading God's word together? We have had back to back to back to back services. There's no service after y'all. We should be done by two. All right, and so I should, I should have y'all out plenty of time. So be good. Nothing going on today or anything. Here we go. First Corinthians 15. So in Corinth, they uh, was a city of unbelievers. In fact, Acts tells us, Paul says that when he talked about the resurrection, there were people that laughed at him. So now there's believers in Corinth, and this, this thought is starting to infiltrate the church. So he writes this letter, I passed on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter, then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James, later by the apostles. This is my favorite part. But last of all, I saw him. Would you pray with me? Right where you're standing this morning, no matter if you're in Compass, the theater, True North, or the HSM room, or you're watching online from somewhere, would you say this to the Lord today? If the resurrection is real, make it real to me. Would you pray that? It's a dangerous prayer. It's been prayed by millions whose spiritual eyes were eventually opened. Father, be real to us today and speak to us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Before you're seated, find three people around you and tell them how good they look on Easter. Would you do that real quick? I know some of you are like, I, I said they look good on Easter. I didn't think they really looked that good, but they thought the same thing about you. All right, and so don't let that hurt your feelings any. This story is a crazy story. And, and on the surface, when you think about the resurrection, and there's three blanks, all right, so it's really easy today. It's illogical, isn't it? It's illogical. That Friday... Is not logical. Paul, Paul begins the letter and he said, Christ died for, what are the next two words? That's the story. That's why Friday happened. He died for our sins. Why? Because our sin separates us from God. He died for our sins. But maybe this will help it make more sense to you. I want you to repeat after me. Christ died for my sins. That's the heart behind Paul. Whether you're a 14-year-old kid, a 44-year-old businessman, or a professional athlete, he died for your sins because there's nothing you can do good enough to get to God. Friday, we were at a hotel room in Orlando with a high school baseball team, and we gathered and did a little Good Friday service, a little Bible study for a bunch of the guys. Ten guys came to the room, and we talked about 
on that Friday, he sacrificed. We can't score by ourselves. It took a sacrifice to get us home. He was the sacrifice. So know this, when he died on the cross, he wasn't dying for his sins. He was dying for your sins. The Romans didn't kill him. The Jews didn't kill him. Jesus willingly gave himself. Why? Here's the word. Don't miss this. Because he loves you. And he didn't want to spend an eternity without you. That's why. Every time you see the cross, you see love. Jesus didn't have to do it that way. He chose to do it that way because somebody had to pay for your sin because sin separates us from God. So he said, I'll do it. I'll sacrifice myself. I'll give myself up to get Mike home, to get you home. It's illogical. Second thing, though, is it's impossible. Seemingly on the surface, it's impossible. He was dead on Friday. That is a fact. There was a historian of that time named Josephus that is a recorded fact in 33 AD that there was a man named Jesus who was killed on Friday. Fact. No dispute. Nobody disputes it. So it's not like people look at it and go, well, I don't know. No, 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 no. Everybody goes, he died on Friday. The question is what happened on Sunday. But he died on Friday. And on Sunday, when they went back to that tomb, there was no body there. Literally, no body or nobody there. What was there on Friday wasn't there on, why? Well, we got to figure out the why. Well, Mike, I, I have a very hard time. I'm very analytical and I'm very smart. The Jews must have taken him because they hated him. Valid, but once the church began to grow after the resurrection and took over that area, if it weren't true, why did they go try to kill all the people? Why did they just not produce the dead body? Well, they didn't have a dead body. Well, maybe it was the Romans. Well, the Romans were trained to protect the tomb because all they wanted was just peace. They really didn't care. If all these people are going, I've seen a resurrected Savior, that are going, bogus, here he is. It didn't work like that. Well, maybe the disciples took him. That would make the most sense. The only problem with that is the 11 disciples that were left all gave up their lives. They were martyred for saying they saw a resurrected Savior. Would they do that? if they had stolen the body? I don't think so. You can go to the Middle East right now and find the tomb of Muhammad or, or go over in the Far East and find the tomb of Buddha and there are rotting bones in there. But there's a tomb in Israel that's empty because God did the impossible. He breathed life and raised Jesus from the dead. Why is that a big deal? It's a big deal because Jesus conquered the one thing you and I can't conquer. That's death. Death is going to visit all of us. Y'all do know that, don't you? I am not get, I'm not Benjamin Button. All right, I'm not getting younger. I'm getting older. 
Death's going to visit me one day. And I can't conquer death without him. But the resurrection is real. It's illogical. It's impossible. My favorite part is it's invitational. It's my favorite part. So Paul does something really interesting in the story. Look at what he says. I love how he writes this. It's going to pop up on the screen. He was seen by Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, which is interesting. So people couldn't say, well, one person saw it. It was just like a ghost or an apparition. And there were five. So this room, our main room, seats almost 700 people. So you can think if 500 of you were in here and saw Jesus at the same time, there's a lot of validity to that. But look at what he goes on to say. Most of them are still alive, though some have died. He was seen by James, later by all the apostles. Last of all, I also saw him. Why did he list those people? Well, he listed Simon Peter because Jesus invited failures. Nobody was more of a failure than Simon Peter. How many of you have ever felt like a failure with God? Raise your hand. If you didn't raise your hand, you just failed. All right, and so that was not a good idea. We all have failed, right? I set out to do good. I'll preach a sermon. We got some ballplayers in here. I'll preach a sermon today and yell at an umpire tomorrow night. All right, and so that happens, right? We all fail at times. Nobody blundered more than Peter. He denied he even knew who he was. And the Bible says Jesus locked eyes with him, and you know Simon Peter felt as low as you could feel. And he saw the resurrected Savior. He was seen by Peter. He was seen by the forgotten. He invited the forgotten, the apostles, that it all scattered. He invited the skeptics. Now get this. Listen to what he says. He was seen by James. Who was James? This is, this is crazy. You may not know this. A little factoid from Easter. Um, James was Jesus' brother. He was the biological son of Joseph and Mary. It's crazy. So James grew up with Jesus. Jesus is 33. James did not believe in Jesus till after the resurrection. Think about that. So after the resurrection, James went, I believe. He just thought Jesus was his brother. I mean, can you imagine having Jesus as your brother? I mean, can you imagine this at home? James, you got a C in biology. Jesus got an A. I know, Mom, he said he created everything. I don't know what's going on. It's been a hard guy to be related to, right? But when he saw the resurrection, he went, I believe, and James became one of the first pastors of the early church. I want you to hear me. God can handle your questions if you can handle his answers. He invited the skeptics. He invited the successful Paul. Paul was elite, man. Paul was a dude. He was the guy. And on the road to Damascus, he met a resurrected Savior. Look at me. Changed his life. You know where he was going on the road to Damascus? He was going to kill people who said they saw the resurrected Savior. He had papers in his pocket to go kill them. And he met Jesus. Changed the course of history for Paul. And Jesus invites you. Easter's all about you. Easter's all about 
you're part of the story. I'm glad, listen, I'm really glad you're here. It means a lot. You could have been a lot of places. But what have you done with the invitation of Jesus? Mike, I, I just don't know how he would ever want somebody like me. I want you to listen to the story of Ryan, would you? I didn't, I didn't grow up in the church, but I had this friend in high school, and when I would sleep over at my friend's house, his parents would invite me to church on Sunday mornings. So I got acquainted with their youth group, and when I was a junior in high school, I went on a youth retreat with them. And that's when I ended up accepting the Lord as a junior in high school. And it, it was awesome. I mean, for the next four years of my life, things were, were great. I was leading worship. I was plugged into a small group, um, spending time with the Lord, involved in the church. I ended up going to Toccoa Falls Bible College and um, things were really good. Fast forward just a couple years, uh, I was living in Atlanta and working and living in Little Five Points, and I got really involved in the party scene, and things really started to take a turn at this point. I was spending a lot of time in bars, spending a lot of time drinking, doing drugs, uh, just hanging out with the wrong crowd. And around that time, I got arrested for a DUI, and that really began a um, a series of events that were like a giant downward spiral in my life. I withdrew from the church um, and for the next like 10 years was just caught up in a series of arrest, rehab, legal consequence, arrest, rehab, legal consequence. And that just kept happening over and over. And I was miserable. Eventually uh, in my early thirties, I got married and things were not going well, like right off the bat. Um, my life had become totally unmanageable at this point. And I remember on the way to work one day, just crying out to the Lord because Tiffany and I had just gotten this big fight and just crying out to him and saying, God, please, just please help me. Um, my wife was pregnant at the time and I knew that things weren't gonna work. And I said to God, help me, but don't make it hurt the way you made it hurt last time. And the last time I had lost my job, I had lost the apartment I was living in. I had to go live in a facility like a rehab place. Well, God made it devastating. Um, he gave me the gift of desperation. Uh, it totally broke me. A couple days later, I got arrested for my fourth DUI. And my attorney was telling me, you're gonna need to brace for a year in jail. Uh, you're not going to see your family, probably not going to see your baby get born. And I was totally desperate. Um, I remember being in jail and just wondering, how did things get this bad? Where, where did I walk away from the Lord that brought me to this point? Well, I remember being in jail and there was this guy and he was an inmate. And he gave me a Bible, and he was like, man, you need help. 
And so he wrote down this prayer on the back of like his like food ordering sheet. He wrote down this prayer that basically was like, Lord, release Ryan from alcohol addiction, release him from panic attacks, from depression, all, all of this stuff. And then he laid hands on me and he prayed it over me. And that was eight years ago. And I haven't drank since that moment. My marriage eventually was repaired. Um, I had to spend two years in an outpatient rehab program, but the courts were gracious, and I was able to avoid that year in jail that I had braced for. And um, my son was born during that time, and that was really the biggest gift because my son, to this day, has never seen me drunk. When I was at my worst, I didn't think that anything could change me. I remember telling my wife, God himself couldn't change me because it would require my free will and I wasn't willing to give that up. And I was in a bad place. I felt like the worst case scenario until he completely broke me. You know, we sing songs like Resurrection Power and in, in my life, I have um, a good example, I feel like, or a good handle on what that means because I knew the Lord before I met the Lord, but there was still this process of sanctification that had to be worked out in my life. And there were a lot of things that needed to die in my life. And the Lord took me through those things and has resurrected me on, on the other side of that. The worst things that have happened in my life have turned out to be some of the most defining uh, things in my life. They've left the biggest marks in a good way. Uh, you hear people say sometimes that your past mistakes don't define you, and, and I agree with that. But God has taken what was intended for evil and used it in a way that is incomprehensible for good. invited Simon Peter, he invited the apostles, he invited James, he invited the 500, and he invited Ryan. Would y'all give a good hand to my good friend, Ryan Hoffer, today, would you? You know, uh, last night after the service, I was at home and my boy, Wyatt, my seven-year-old, I think I mentioned him, we were having a devotional and we were talking about the crucifixion and the resurrection. And um, he looked at me and he was like, Dad, why, why do people wear the cross around their neck? Isn't the cross bad? And I just love, I love seven-year-old questions. You know, they're so big. And I, and I told him, it should have been bad, but it wasn't, you know, it was God's plan for good. And I think I said it in that video, God, I mean, he can take, he can take the worst and make it good. 
And just like uh, Cole was saying when he came out at the top of the service, uh, Romans 6, Romans 6, 4, you know, uh, just as the father raised the son, so we too walk in newness of life. And so today I'd like to pray for y'all. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, that we can come today and we can celebrate uh, not only eternity, but we can, we can celebrate newness of life here in the already not yet, living in the middle. And Lord, I think about, um, I think about in 1 Corinthians 15 when it says that you appeared to over 500 people, 500 eyewitnesses after your resurrection. And today you are still appearing to people, still making yourself known and changing the course of history by doing so. And for those of you in the room today who came in and for the first time, you finally understand what Jesus accomplished on your behalf I'd like to lead you in a little prayer. And you don't have to say it out loud, you can say it in your heart. But it goes something like this. Jesus, I believe that you came and that you lived, that you died for my sins, and that you rose again to new life. And Lord, I invite you to come into my heart and I commit my life to you. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, we celebrate today. Today, Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus is your spiritual birthday. And we celebrate alongside you. Or maybe you're in the room today and you've known Jesus And whether you're in a season of plenty or you're in a time of great difficulty, be encouraged by the words of Hebrew chapter 13. It says, now may the God of peace who rose again from the dead, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, may he equip you with every good thing to do his will and work in you that which is pleasing to his sight. So Heavenly Father, today, by that same power, that resurrection power that you've used to transform so many lives, will you equip us to do your will and will you work in us that which is pleasing to you? I've said it before and I'll say it again, Lord. Thank you for doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. Yeah, it's a powerful thing. I think about what Ryan said in his story about the gentleman who put his hands on his shoulders. There's some of you that walked in today in impossible situations. Impossible marriage, impossible situations with your children, which we've heard about all morning impossible financial problems. It's just impossible. That's how they felt Sunday morning when they got to the tomb. But here's the good news. If the tomb is empty, 
nothing's impossible. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. God, I think we can do better than that. All right, here we go. Let's do it again. If the tomb is empty, nothing's impossible. Is that right? Maybe, maybe for you today, you just need to be reminded. You know Jesus, but you need to be reminded of what his friend reminded him, him of in a very unexpected place. That little card that, that it's in the seat back in front of you or under your seat, it's a little green card that's his prayer. You may want to fill that out today because we want to come alongside you and pray for you. But there's some of you that prayed that prayer for the first time today, that you ask this resurrected Savior into your heart. And today, as Ryan said, it's your spiritual birthday. I got a text this week. We're on this baseball trip, and I get a text from a buddy of mine. He said, happy spiritual birthday, April the 3rd, 1983. I asked Jesus in my heart on an Easter Sunday. I was born in February, but I was reborn on Easter Sunday. Maybe for you, today's your spiritual birthday. We want to celebrate with you. That little card, I had one earlier. It's somewhere on this campus. But anyways, so this little card that's in the seat back in front of you or under your chair, says I've made a decision. If you'll put your name on there, information, we have tents on the way out. All you've got to do is drop it by the tent and we want to give you a birthday present. We want to give you something to say congratulations and welcome home because let me tell you something, we would have done all of this for just you. Just you. The whole weekend. And Jesus would have done all he did for just you too. So, for all of our North Star family and our family that already knows Jesus, for all of those that accepted Christ today for the first time, would you let them know today how proud you are of them?